Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Developing the Next Generation of Women Healthcare IT Leaders and Driving Transformational Digital Change, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Persistent Systems. My name is Kate Gamble. I'm Managing Editor and Director of Social Media, and I will be your moderator for today. Um, we encourage you to participate by submitting your questions and comments in the Q&A box. Okay, next slide. We're gonna have um, what I really believe will be a great discussion with our uh, panelists. Naomi Raposa Lanane, CIO and VP of Information Services at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Kristen Myers, EVP and Chief Digital and Information Officer and Dean for Digital and Digital and Information Technology at Mount Sinai Health System, and Neetha Puthran, SVP of Cloud Infrastructure and Security at Persistent Systems. So we'll go for about 35, 40 minutes in our panel discussion, and then we will take your questions uh, during the Q&A portion. Okay, so let's get started. Um, if you want to give us an, an overview of your organization and your role. Uh, Naomi, let's start with you. Great. Thanks, Kate. Uh, so uh, Naomi Lenane, CIO here at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. We're located in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, uh, and have five regional campuses uh, throughout Massachusetts and Southern uh, New Hampshire. We are uh, both a cancer research institute and a cancer hospital in one, which is a unique uh, organization. And um, I'm uh, mostly responsible for all of the infrastructure, um, clinical revenue cycle, business systems related to hospital operations. I sometimes say it's easier to say what I'm not responsible for, and that is research and informatics, um, data analytics. So pretty much everything else, philanthropy, you name it, it's all my responsibility. Just uh, don't come to me for your data and analytics needs. Um, so. Kristen, right. might want to go next? Yeah, Kristen. Sure. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. Um, my name is Kristen Myers, um, the Chief Digital and Information Officer and Dean for Digital and IT at Mount Sinai Health System. Uh, the Mount Sinai Health System uh, is a New York-based uh, uh, system with our School of Medicine, uh, the Icon School of Medicine. We have around eight hospital campuses, uh, 11.3 billion in uh, revenue. And, you know, my departmental vision is really to deliver transformational technology to drive innovation and optimize services uh, while improving the experience of the communities we serve. And so anything technology uh, related in the organization uh, falls under my purview. Great. And Neetha? Thank you, Kate, and thank you all uh, to the co-panelists. My name is Nita Putran, uh, based out of New Jersey. Uh, Persistent um, is a digital engineering and an enterprise modernization partner. Uh, we just touched a billion dollars in revenue. It was a huge milestone that we celebrated. We are a services organization, so to say. Uh, if I had to tell you a little bit about the organization and my role, and contextualize my role. We are a matrixed organization. So I'm fortunate to be working with multiple verticals 
uh, or domains. Um, obviously, the first one is healthcare life sciences. Uh, second one is financial services. Third one is ISV. And the last one is media and technology or emerging verticals, as I call it. Now, I have a horizontal role, and that's why I say I'm fortunate. I cut across all these four verticals. And so bring horizontal services related to cloud, infrastructure, and security uh, globally for our customers. Uh, we provide services out of 19 uh, countries, distinct countries. And within each of these countries, we have multiple locations or delivery locations or delivery centers, as they say. But um, uh, my objective is to provide or to partner with customers to provide digital transformation uh, in the business that they are in. Nice meeting all of you. Thank you, Kate. Back to you. Thank you. Okay. So let's get started with our first question. Why did you choose a career in healthcare IT? Were you concerned that tech was a male-dominated field and you might have a challenging time? And do you feel your road to success has been more challenging because of your gender? So big questions. Naomi, can you start? Sure, happy to start off. Um, I'm not sure I chose a career in healthcare IT. I think mm -hmm. it chose me at one point. Um, so I, I will say sort of back when I was um, coming up the ranks, you know, this wasn't um, a career in that there weren't majors, to, you know, in college or, or master's programs. All of those things sort of came later. Um so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I sort of um, actively said I'm going to go do this thing. I really got involved from a um, hospital workflow perspective, really trying to think about how to make, um, you know, the processes better and different uh, for users. And that's really what drew me uh, to the work is I sort of fell into it. Um, I wasn't concerned at the time that it was sort of male dominated. Um, and I'm not sure... Um, my process was challenging, but I, I do think there was probably um, aspects of it that moved slower uh, than maybe if I was a male in the field. Um, and I think some of that had to be um, based on the fact that, you know, many women think you're, you know, you might just get tapped on the shoulder if you work hard enough. And if you sort of do a really great job, somebody's just going to offer you the next thing. And that did happen to me a little bit early in my career. And it wasn't until sort of later that I started to speak with other women, um, maybe not in technology, but in leadership positions in healthcare, and started to ask questions about sort of, well, how do you move up? And, and what does that mean? And, and how did, um, how did you get where you're going? Um, that I realized that I sort of had to sort of speak up a bit more than I think I had originally expected. Um, and so, you know, I'm not, I do think that some of those challenges may have been gender specific, more things that I might've put on myself, um, sort of not realizing uh, the whole speaking up uh, piece of it. I will mention that I sort of at one point actively said to the CIO at Dana-Farber, I wanna be the CIO at Dana-Farber, you know, and his response was, Oh, like he had no idea that that would have been my goal. And so right. if I hadn't said those words out loud, he would have not known to sort of, you know, help me get uh, to my goals or help me achieve my goals. So um, 
you know, I do think um, I didn't go into it saying I'm worried that it's a male dominated field, but I do think there may have been things that I sort of held myself back early on and, and luckily work with some amazing uh, women leaders here, Dana Farber, who helped me see the error of my ways um, and really encouraged me to, to ask for what I was looking for next. Yeah. Really interesting. And we'll get into that a little bit more later about, you know, having uh, mentors and others who helped. Um, but really, really interesting. I like how uh, IT chose you. <laughs> um, Kristen, can you talk a bit? Can you answer this question from your perspective? Sure. Um, so I went to college. I was going to be a lawyer and so did a law and technology um, dual degree. Um, but, you know, with uh, the technology background, that was something that I felt, you know, passionate about pursuing. And, you know, healthcare, I think it gave a, it was a compelling opportunity, uh, quite frankly, to make a difference. And, you know, I've been in healthcare IT for over 20 years. And, you know, I'm going to stay in the field uh, for my entire career because I know every single day. Uh, that, you know, the team and I make a positive difference uh, to our patients and our educators and, you know, our uh, clinicians in the organisation. But, you know, when I chose tech, I knew it would be challenging um, because, you know, the field is male-dominated and, you know, I was only one of two women who did technology and um, law as a dual degree in college and, you know, I was only the only woman who got the CISO certification at Carnegie Mellon even a few years ago. So I definitely think the road to success has been more challenging um, because of gender. And, you know, there are systemic um, barriers and biases that, you know, hinder women's progress and limit opportunities. I think that the bias is definitely more apparent uh, years ago earlier in my career, but there's been a positive shift over the last few years. And I think there's more awareness and a stronger push for gender equity and equality in society and in the workforce. And, you know, I want to recognise and thank Mount Sinai uh, because they've been such a strong and public advocate for uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. And, you know, the sponsorship uh, that, you know, has been shown towards me um, by, you know, many of our leaders and also female leaders in the organisation um, has been tremendous. Yeah, interesting. Neetha, what about you? Uh, like I said, Kate, uh, in my introduction, I have the opportunity of working across uh, verticals. So, uh, I'm going to kind of respond to it, not from a healthcare perspective, but more from an IT perspective. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I was passionate about technology. Uh, so I chose to, you know, pursue my career. Uh, honestly, um, I, I, don't, I don't think, and maybe definitely today not, I don't think it's a male-dominated uh, field. I did not think of it that way when I came in. I was focused on the goal, so to say, uh, and didn't see what was happening on the sidelines or the buzz and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so there would have been challenges, I would say more biases, um, you know, and my personality, the way it is, 
irrespective of this discussion and or any other, I would just dismiss or deal with things there and there. And so it never bothered me. I never let it linger in the background, foreground, uh, you know, etc. Um, so yes, uh, I think there are challenges. I've heard from women colleagues and peers that there are challenges. And I tend to do more of coaching for them uh, rather than, you know, I, I like to do what is in my control. And so I've taken that as a way to deal with, uh, you know, the situation or uh, these topics. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Well, we're definitely going to get more into that. And I think that that, that kind of segues nicely into our next question, um, which is, you know, talking about how you've helped women succeed in your work environment. And um, Kristen, you talked about how Mount Sinai has uh, has had a good uh, environment as far as promoting diversity. So can you talk a little bit about more that more of that and, you know, how, to, how that's affected you and others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look at the executive leadership level. Um, you know, we have an executive board for diversity and inclusion across the health system. And, you know, now um, that I'm in my position, you know, I'm able to actively participate and, you know, promote uh, DEI events. And, you know, I serve as the corporate leader for our anti-racism roadmap program also. And, you know, we also have formal mentorships, um, a mentorship program across the health system, um, you know, specifically for women, as well as um, the Black Executive Mentorship Program. Um, within our department, we also have internships, and we even have a women-specific internship uh, called Breakthrough Tech for undergrad students. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are lots of forums, you know, where we get, you know, a lot of active support um, from the health system. But I also think it is up to us. Uh, to be role models in the organization and to be making sure that, you know, when we have new hires and promotions that, you know, we're ensuring there's a diverse pool of candidates uh, to consider for new for new positions and promotions. Yeah. And I guess that, that gets back to um, really building the pipeline probably, which is a discussion <laughs> all yes. in and of itself, but yeah, such a big part of it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's one of our biggest challenges. I mean, there are just, you know, less females that apply to technology roles and, you know, even a lower percentage that apply to infrastructure or cybersecurity or data science. And I think that that's where we need to focus is on the pipeline and, you know, foster really an early promotion of women into these types of technology fields with the internships um, for those in high school and college yeah. And Neetha, you talked about some of the coaching and can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Sure. So uh, in and I think, you know, you in your question here, I also see about, uh, you know, how has technology evolved? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So coming to the coach and I'll just tee up the two together, but coming to the coaching part, um, I think the way you the, the need to focus on the goal. Uh, and be prepared for that, right? Often, um, I see not only not only women, but you know, colleagues who are very interested in a role, uh, but they're not well prepared to uh, to kind of handle the same. 
And this coaching that I impart, you know, again, not only to my women colleagues uh, and, you know, but to everybody on, on what you need to have to accomplish that goal or role, right? Uh, then there is an aspect of coaching related to biases that keep lingering, uh, you know, in minds of uh, our my women colleagues. And so I kind of do that to ad hoc sessions. Um, we have a coffee on cloud session that I take for colleagues, um, you know, that can talk about technology and what kind of trainings do we need, how rigorous it is. What is the amount of time that you need to devote when you are aspiring for a role or a certification and, and so on and so forth? So that is something that that really that I feel really has benefited. A few of them, and here I believe that even if you make an impact, even if you change the lives of you know, you know, a handful of people, I think it's it's big. But but yeah, some, some of those offline uh, coaching does help uh, in spreading the message. Uh, and kind of helping my helping colleagues think of you know how what have I what principles have I embraced well on my journey uh, to where I am today. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff there. And Naomi, um, do you want to try to address the part of the question where we see how do you see tech jobs changing over time, and and do you think it will address inequities? Uh- So, um, you know, I think one of the challenges and even sort of in the question is that it sort of implies that, you know, if there's less technical jobs, more women will be in the organization versus saying, how do we make sure that women are applying for the technical jobs or going into these technical fields? So sort of as uh, Kristen mentioned, sort of working with um, high school students, even sort of pre-COVID, my group my team was working with middle school students in Boston Public Schools because middle school is sort of when STEM um, interest sort of starts to wane, especially for young girls. And so it's sort of like, how do you keep that pipeline going so that they're going to want the most technical of the technical jobs and not sort of just, you know, lean towards the jobs like I started in, which were sort of training and implementation and workflows and sort of left all the technical stuff to another group of people. How do we make sure that we continue to have women in those technical jobs um, and not just on the other side of it? And I think that's the piece that I think about even with the question is how do we force sort of the men in the organization to deal with the communications and the training and the things that are the more soft skills side of some of these technical roles where you see a lot of times them sort of pushing the woman to like, well, you, why don't you handle these topics, right? Because you're going to be good at them and we're going to be over here sort of, you know, you do the documentation, we'll be over here doing the coding. And then like, let's make sure we're swapping some of that and making sure that we're not even in a technical environment sort of, you know, separating by gender sort of what the tasks are. Um, So, you know, hopefully, you know, we we don't have to use the tech job changing as a way to increase, you know, women in the workplace. And we're able to just really push them into all aspects of any of the jobs that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else want to uh, chime in with on, on that comment? Yeah, sure. Uh, Naomi, I like uh, I like what you said, and 
there was a good catch uh, about on the question. Um, and I really think uh, I today, my role, I, I head up cloud in France security. So solutions for customers uh, horizontally, right? Irrespective. Now I can only sell better. I, I can convince customers better because I've dirtied my hands on technology, right? I don't code today, but I think that's very important what you said, right? Even if there are certain ancillary skills that are required, right, to do something at the top there. And those skills till you dirty your hands, uh, you you can never challenge people uh, in programs. And I think that's that's very important. I almost got goosebumps, but that's very important uh, uh, that to drive that message to people that don't just think of being somewhere without without having worked on the ground. I think that's that's really important. And be challenged uh, and challenge themselves or ourselves, right? Uh, you know, to get into the fifty thousand feet deeper versus being more wider and broader. Yeah. Kristen, is there anything you want to add on that? Look, I think, um, you know, the role of technology is going to change, you know, the way that we all work, um, you know, with AI and automation. I think that, you know, repetitive and manual tasks are just going to be replaced and we're going to have to work side by side uh, with AI um, because it's going to, you know, just augment, you know, the capabilities uh, that that we have. And, you know, I think it will support and enable uh, different technology roles, um, you know, like cybersecurity analysts or software testers and IT support. So on the technology side, I think that's where it's going. Um, the one thing I would add is, you know, on the hybrid remote work, I think that this has been amazing um, for for women, uh, quite frankly. And I think that the hybrid work and remote work arrangements are here to stay. And, you know, I think that, you know, that creates opportunity for women in technology also. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's go on to the next question, um, which, again, we kind of segued nicely into by talking about digital transformation. But um, obviously, it's become a big buzz buzz phrase, um, and it means different things to different people. So uh, let's answer, how have you helped your organization digitally transform over the years? And aside from your EHR platform, what technologies have had the most impact to your organization? So Naomi, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Sure. I mean, I think COVID has uh, helped healthcare adopt sort of digital transformation uh, tools, you know, adopt these digital tools that really force that more like agile approach where in my world, you know, I think of digital as being, you know, tools that are going to continuously improve um, and that we may, you know, iterate on with you. And that obviously had to happen in COVID constantly. Um, so I do think um, helping the organization adopt that much more agile approach of I'm giving you a minimal viable product and we're going to have to keep making it better as we go. Um, throughout COVID was great um, where we had sort of, 
you know, attestation tools for, you know, your symptoms and things like that, that were, you know, really effective, I think, during um, the height of the pandemic. Um, I do think from my perspective, something we were able to plan a little more than anything COVID related was sort of the implementation of CRM tools. And so we started, um, you know, with a CRM technology for our call centers back in, you know, 2018 was our first go live. We've recently upgraded and changed uh, solutions uh, this past year. Um, and I think tying all of that with marketing um, and sort of that whole, you know, marketing through to the call center, to the new patient um, growth is really a, a, a place where we've put a lot of effort um, and has probably made the most impact to the organization um, from a, you know, showing and being able to tie um, sort of how we are bringing new patients into the organization. What does that look like? How do we improve our processes? How do we improve our data um, and our metrics and, and all of those uh, aspects of bringing in CRM? So I'd say, you know, those COVID helped for sure. Um, so there's some positive silver lining to that. And then I would say um, other than EHRs, you know, I think CRM is a big one for us um, that, has made a lot of impact in the last few years. Yeah. And being uh, ahead of the game, or at least ahead of COVID, certainly made an impact, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kristen, what about you? Um, just thoughts on digital transformation, how you've helped your organization digitally transform? Uh, sure. I mean, I agree with Naomi and what she said about, um, you know, the acceleration of technology. So, you know, our focus has been on uh, AI and automation technologies also as a very high priority. Uh, we have a number of um, decision support, you know, predictive models that we've implemented, you know, in our clinical sphere. Um, you know, we're very much focused on robotic process automation. And, you know, we're also exploring and uh, just operationalizing, you know, GPT for large language models uh, for our researchers. So that has been a huge area of focus for us, as well as the cloud and, you know, closing down our data centers, you know, consolidating and, you know, moving our applications uh, to, to the cloud. And I think that that's going to, you know, increase our agility and scalability and, enable innovation. On the digital transformation piece, you know, we we took a step back and really looked at, you know, what we wanted to achieve as a health system in um, mid-22 regarding digital. And so, you know, we developed a comprehensive roadmap, you know, focusing on access, um, care navigation, virtual health, and enhanced digital scheduling. And, you know, we came up with uh, a robust organizational change management plan, governance structure um, to ensure that, you know, we're making decisions, you know, based on data. Uh, so it's, um, there's been a lot of work uh, that has happened in the last three years, uh, but, you know, it, it's been an amazing process. Yeah. And I know that, Neetha, obviously it's a bit different from your perspective, but um, <laughs> if you want to just uh, address the question in whatever way fits most. Sure, sure, Kate. Uh, uh, so, so a couple of points, right? Internally, uh, within Persistent, uh, we've been focusing, we, we, 
we were a little or we are a little ahead of the curve, so to say, because we catered to hundreds of customers. Uh, so we have to be prepared for that worst case. So, for example, uh, Naomi, uh, sorry, Kristen, you mentioned about hybrid COVID teaching, you know, enabling the digital acceleration. Uh, yes, we we in while we contract with customers, we have to be ready for eventualities, for pandemics and so on and so forth. So I would say we were a little ahead of the curve that way. But uh, but yes, uh, from a digital transformation perspective, I would like to talk about what we do for our customers. Uh, and um, in terms of, uh, you know, out of the box, even when a customer says, this is what I want, want from you, I want a solution for patient engagement as an example, right? There is automation built into the solution, right? What we can do, uh, it's not only about just providing, um, you know, uh, developers and a crew and so on and so forth, but trying to uh, give them a roadmap and a vision as to how we will graduate through the, you know, uh, through the term of the engagement and so on and so forth. So we, digital transformation is big. Like I said in my introduction, we are, uh, you know, uh, a digital transformation partner. Um, but we we really think that uh, both internally, you can, you can, uh, you have to practice what you preach so it's not about telling customers what they can do or what we can do to them, but to tell them that we drink our own champagne, you know, is even more better. Uh, so adopting all of that and keeping trying to keep our customers ahead of the curve in terms of the latest and greatest from technology principles or partners that we have, and even kind of keeping them up to date as far as how we could evolve the engagement that's there, uh, developer productivity or whatever, you know, there's, there's a quite a few offerings from uh, all the hyperscalers and other uh, technology principles uh, to make things, to deliver, help deliver, um, you know, a more optimized and, uh, you know, a better experience for our customers. Actually, I want to go to um, an audience question. Um, and I'm just going to read it for you. I love what Naomi had to say about distribution of tasks and making sure male leaders are also taking ownership of power skills rather than soft skills. So can we get into that a little more just as far as maybe how that can happen or what your experiences have been? I mean, I, I can start to sort of say, you know, I think I have seen, you know, not in my organization, but sort of in, in other organizations um, where, you know, the a sort of set of leaders are there and there's sort of this expectation that as we do our org chart, we're putting the female leader with the, you're going to own these things because we're going to actively admit that these other leaders aren't as good at it as you are. Well, in my organization, you know, I think we think about, you know, what is the expectation of every role? And there those sort of skills around, um, you know, appropriately communicating, being able to, you know, present on topics uh, in layman's terms and not just from a technical perspective, um, you know, understanding sort of from a, you know, versatilist perspective, sort of the upstream and downstream of your work, any of those things that I think a lot of times or maybe historically have sort of been seen as, you know, 
happening on the analyst side and maybe not on the technical side sort of also has lent itself to be more sort of women are better at it because there were more analysts on the women's side and, you know, more women on the analyst side. And so, you know, we like to set expectations by job role and it's not sort of, you know, it's not okay if a senior leader in my organization, you know, cannot present at, at a, at a, you know, VP level meeting or, or at a board meeting, you know, we need to make sure that those sort of skill sets are across the board um, and not, and and you should expect the same of your technical teams as you do as sort of non-technical teams. So, you know, from my perspective, it's really looking at the job descriptions and, and sort of the, as you're interviewing and bringing people on and also giving people those opportunities or, or setting that expectation that they're going to participate in a certain way and participate, you know, with your camera on and doing a presentation, even if it's internal to the department, to ensure that they're using those skills and that they don't get rusty and we don't sort of just let, you know, one person always sort of do do the talking for the rest of the team. So um, yeah. I'm not sure how others yeah. are doing it in their organizations. Yeah, I was actually going to say it all goes back to the job description. And we've been going through actually a whole exercise on career ladders, job descriptions. And, you know, it's ultimately it then comes back to accountability and, you know, making sure that, you know, people are actually, you know, doing what the job description says that they're going to do, as you outlined. So thank you. And that can't just be the CIO. That has to be, yes, this has exactly. to be throughout leadership. Wow. Very interesting. Neetha, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, not on the question, but I see the other question. How do you think, is it okay for me to get to that? But I do agree with what Naomi and Kristen mm-hmm. uh, yes. had to say. And, and there's one point that that we service providers like us master, um, you know, it's called uh, cross training, right? We we do I, so. I like the question, and I like you know the way my co-panelists have answered it. But cross training is key, uh, right? That might not be your uh, you know uh, your most important uh, role, but then it's important to get cross trained and understand and be able to be able to uh, you know contribute better uh, and understand better. So, but I'll just go to this one. How do we think? I like this question. How do you how do you think we will make sure that the code developed for AI technologies does not have gender bias built in? That's that's a great one. And there are uh, fairness metrics tools that 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 we use or are incorporated while we do this uh, that will throw that spit that out immediately if there if there is uh, an indication of bias towards. Uh, you know, um, either gender or uh, any other aspect. Uh, there are tools from from the larger hyperscalers themselves. I don't want to name any tools here, but there are tools that this has been thought through. Uh, you know, as 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 we've been making progress on the generative AI side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Kate. I was just going to say, hundred percent yeah. agree on that because you know we we have tools, but we also have an AI ethics. Uh, governance structure in place at our organization where, you know, any kind of AI predictive model, you know, we have an entire intake and review of that particular model, whether it's vendor or whether it's something that's being developed internally. 
And, you know, we want to make sure that there is no bias in any of these models before we put it into clinical practice. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, as we know, it's not just gender bias when it comes to AI. It's correct. Okay. So let's go to the next question. Let's see. Okay. So as far as the limitations, barriers, or entrenched way of doing things in healthcare, what, what needs to be overcome in order to maximize the benefits of technology? I know that this can go in a lot of different directions, but um, Kristen, do you have any, what are your thoughts on this as far as those limitations? Look, I think um, tracking value realization, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, metrics and data are crucial. Uh, when we talk about maximizing, you know, benefits of technology and you've got to be able to measure it. So you've got to be able to define and baseline and trend that value realization and be able to speak to the business about that. And I I think that that is an area that, you know, technology uh, leaders um, and others need to, you know, really get better at uh, in healthcare. I also think change management. Um, when we're adopting new technologies that require significant changes in workflow and training or cultural shifts in the organization and, you know, just overcoming that resistance and, you know, putting together a comprehensive change management plan, um, getting that continuous feedback from the stakeholders is critical. So I think we have to foster a culture that embraces, uh, you know, technology advancements Um, And again, going back to organizational culture, I think that, you know, we also have to have a culture of innovation and and agility. Um, And we've got to encourage that at all levels of the organization um, and have an open and transparent communication and, you know, collaboration uh, between everyone at the organization. So those are three areas I think that in healthcare uh, we can do better. Naomi, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I agree with Kristen. And I do think the culture change management piece is is a big one. If you think about healthcare, especially now, though, we, you know, there's such a um, resource uh, constraint and shortage, nursing shortage and other things now with post-COVID. But if you think about it, even pre-COVID, you know, we have you know, multi-generational people, you know, um, staffing, right? So we have, you know, younger folks who've sort of grown up with the internet and, you know, have a phone attached to their hand. And we have other people who sort of are still struggling a little bit with, you know, their desktop, right? So really thinking about um, how do you manage change with that, with all of those stakeholders and being clear about sort of how do you best approach um you know, all of the end users in your organization, I think is is something that we struggle with when we're trying to roll out tools. I do think that new um, sort of more digital tools that focus on sort of um, ease of use and user experience um, are going to actually be better and easier for us to roll out to sort of all of these different user types or personas in the organization. So I think that's going to help us. But I think that's been a barrier for, for folks as you're trying to roll it out that you've got all of these you know, different levels, you know, everybody from data science,
science all the way down to, you know, folks who aren't used to sort of using a certain type of equipment. So, you know, um, that span of end user, I think, is is part of that cultural um, shift that we have that we'll be going through over time and, and really getting people to engage uh, with technology. I think dy- uh, remote work um, has encouraged that as well, because no longer did you come in, sit down, and there was your computer that somebody put out for you and kept clean. You're you're responsible now. You're home, so you're responsible. So I think that'll help us, but um, had historically been a limitation. And and I do think finance finances are going to be tough. Um, so you know, a lot of organizations are in a tough spot, um, sort of post uh, COVID at this point. And you know, a lot of these digital tools are not cheap, right? So how do we really spend our money sort of the best way that we can to achieve the best outcomes for our organization? Um, combining that, you know, plan with who who are end users and what culture can we bring to this organization? How do we make change in our organization, you know, sort of come together is, is sort of uh, the biggest challenges, but also means we have the most opportunity to sort of make a big difference uh, with in all of our organizations. You know, if we can overcome, you know, sort of the the end user challenges and or you know cultural challenges and and use our money wisely, we really can make a big difference in the organization. Yeah, really great points about change management, and also about how you know when everything did switch over with COVID, there really wasn't a choice, so it kind of did push people, but. Um, you know, it's it's just that's really interesting how that unfolded. Nita, do you want to give a uh, give this uh, question think, some? Sure, yeah. absolutely. Uh, two points. Uh, the first one, which my co-panelists alluded to, uh, and we call it in our world, uh, we call it OCM, organizational change management. Uh, so you know, making sure you're taking the organization along uh, the journey uh, versus. Uh, intimidating them. So that's one part which is very, very crucial. The other part, uh, and this is related to maximizing the benefits of technology. Uh, so Kate, this is this was one of my favorite questions. Uh, and as a, as a provider, as a partner, as a service provider to my customers, the focus, the ability to execute POCs, proof of concepts, faster than anybody else or uh, you know, meeting the customer's expectations. So Naomi just mentioned about, you know, what do we do? What path do we select? You know, how do we make that choice and so on and so forth. And to be able to enable customers to make that choice, build those assets, accelerators and frameworks that are required that will enable customers to make a faster choice and take advantage of technology that exists there, whether it's low code, no code, or anything else, right? But those POCs are are precious. And those are the two points that I think, uh, you know, that mattered most. And I'm happy both both the co-panelists spoke about uh, the organizational change management aspect. Uh, We internally at Persistent had a huge culture initiative that we launched uh, that was done by, run by an external uh, party. Not because of anything, because Kristen, like you said, right, COVID taught us many things, uh, right? And we knew what got us here will not get us there, will not take us to the next milestone. And so we wanted to take the organization along together, right? How do we onboard 
associates, how do we onboard employees today versus how we did it before COVID and, and so on and so forth. How do we make the employee experience better? How do we make customer experience better, right? Uh, what are we yet missing? And we incorporated all of that into, uh, into, that, into that culture workshop. That hope that was helpful. Okay, so at this point, um, we're going to do our Ask a Co-Panelist, and there's so many topics we've covered, you know, change management, job descriptions, coaching, everything, but this is your chance to kind of pick the brains of your co-panelists, so um, I don't know who wants to jump in first, but yeah, just a, a chance to ask something that they've maybe been dealing with and, and provide some guidance. Um, Kate, if you don't mind, I can jump in, and I sure. have a question for Christine. Uh, Kristen, you mentioned about uh, hybrid work, um, and you also stated that um, this has helped women, you know, uh, for those who have had that crunch, right, that that uh, uh, where this was an obstacle, being at a place at a particular time. But I see, uh, and I think from your perspective, from an enterprise perspective, it makes uh, uh, sense. Uh, but I have customers who want to see people in person, uh, you know, the touch and the feel and so on and so forth. I, you know, we, we we have made progress, but we are trying to kind of bring that happy blend or, uh, you know, that we arrive at that happy medium, so to say. Uh, do you want to throw a little more light on what you said and what, what your perspectives are in the healthcare space, in the space that you are in? Yeah, sure. Look, I think it's a balance. Um, you know, not all of our department is, you know, 100% remote. I would say, you know, probably 25% is. And, you know, the rest is hybrid. Myself, you know, I'm in the office, you know, four days a week. Uh, so I think it depends on your role. But as it relates to, I think, you know, really supporting women in the workforce, the ability to, you know, if you're working from home, you know, dropping your child off at school, picking your child up from home, you know, being able to, you know, have a flexible working environment where you can go to, you know, see, you know, your son or daughter's play at school. A lot of those opportunities were not available when you were in the office five days a week. So I think having a flexible environment, focusing on, you know, is the work being done? I think requires a different um, management style. And in fact, you know, we're putting all of our management team through, you know, training around, you know, how do you, you know, manage remote and hybrid team members? Um, because, you know, it, it is a little different from when you can see everyone in the office four or five days a week. So I think it's the flexibility. And I think that, you know, making sure that you focus on outcomes and not, you know, is everyone there like nine to five is the key. Thank you, Kristen. Good question. And I, I can absolutely say it as a parent that it, it really does make a difference when you can, when you have that flexibility um, and you can, you know, but you've also established that you're going to get your work done. You're going to be where you need to be. But having the flexibility has been huge for me personally. That's great. I think flexibility and balance, uh, right? And I think the last piece I would like to add is uh, don't take advantage of the situation, uh, right? Uh, when you're needed and 
when you have an opportunity, be there. And when you need that flexibility, take it and be there because it's all about balance between our personal and professional lives. Yeah. And I mean, the only other point I would make is 99% of team members, you know, follow the rules, right? It's, you know, there may be only a very small percentage that, you know, may try to take advantage of it. But, you know, we've seen it as a differentiator uh, for us as an organization. And, you know, it's it's been a, a good way to attract talent also. And kind of a follow-up to that, do you, is there anything you do to make sure that people who are remote are, you know, being kept in the fold, uh, whether it's inviting them to certain events? Like, is that something that you do address? Yeah, we're trying to be very intentional about, you know, when we bring team members to the office. So, you know, having either, you know, monthly uh, like specific uh, luncheon lands or, you know, bringing in specific teams, you know, to have an all day team building. I think the key is intentional, uh, not just, you know, having people turn up to the office, you know, randomly and not actually be, you know, meeting with their team members. Uh, so that's what we've been trying to do is just focusing on, you know, team events and just being intentional about it. And people do want to come into the office, you know, where there's a specific purpose and, you know, where they're going to get value. Right. And I would just jump in to say we've also um, tried to be clear that we realize some of that on-site on time is social. Like that because it's sort of newer, maybe for some people to come on site or sort of there were ebbs and flows. We obviously had some staff who were on site throughout the whole pandemic. Others sort of were remote through most of it that um, we need to acknowledge that some part of that when you're first starting to come back on site or if you plan a team meeting uh, that's going to be on site, that you're planning a social aspect to it, that we want to give people that opportunity to spend that sort of social time. We also during uh, sort of during COVID and now continuously have also set um, times that are purposely social on Zoom or on whatever sort of remote, um, you know, whatever platform you use where there is time, whether it's within your team or I do two sort of social things, um, one a week and one a month that is sort of where you can drop in and, and see me and talk to me just like you would have if you were in the office. Um, and so for the, so that we're, giving opportunity, whether you're on site or not on site, to sort of also still see and hear from your leadership team. So I think that that's really important to make sure you not just sort of send a bunch of emails, which I also do that, but also set that time where people could, you know, pop in and say hello and meet all your new people who are being onboarded potentially remotely. So being really, um, as Kristen said, sort of thoughtful and and, um, you know, know that you're doing it for these specific reasons and very deliberate about what you're doing that's on site versus remotely, I think is is what will be effective and sort of hopefully what keeps people connected, uh, you know, sort of as we move forward in this very hybrid world. Yeah. Naomi, did you want to uh, pose any question to your panelists? Uh, so I, you know, to either uh, one, um, something we didn't talk about uh, yet today that I sort of 
think about often, <laughs> frankly, is imposter syndrome. So, you know, it's a sort of a sort of a construct that many women deal with where they sort of don't realize sort of how how sort of um, how much they sort of are valued or bring to an organization or the concept that they might read a job description and sort of not believe that they sort of belong in that role. Um, so to either or both of you, you know, have you had to deal with that um, for yourself or maybe for someone you've coached? Um, and do you have any sort of advice uh, for the audience um, on that? It's, you know, uh, usually a hot topic when we talk about sort of women in tech, especially um, that there's this sense that they don't quite belong or don't quite measure up all the time. So curious, sort of your thoughts on uh, the concepts around imposter syndrome. Kristen, you want to go first? <laughs> Look, I think that, um, you know, all of us have experienced times where, you know, you go into the meeting and you're the only woman um, in the meeting, right? And so, uh, you know, and that, can, and that can be challenging to sometimes be, you know, heard um, with your perspective. Um, and, and things are changing, you know, I think in a, in a very positive way. Um, I think what is so important for women to understand is that, um, and, and also to self-promote them, self-promotion. And it's something that uh, I think, Naomi, you talked about, you know, at the beginning, that you've got to self-advocate. Um, and, you know, you can be working very, very hard um, on, you know, your job and doing excellent work. But unless you, you know, make sure that people know about it and, you know, highlight the work, you know, you could be in the same job in the next five to 10 years. So I think it's it's about making sure that you're advocating for yourself. I think secondly, you know, having that network around you, whether it's other women, other mentors that, you know, you can speak to and, you know, really have those honest conversations about how you're feeling about certain situations. For example, reading a job, description and thinking, you know, you may not be the right person, you know, you should bounce that off someone else uh, and make sure that, you know, you're not, you know, having that imposter syndrome. Yeah. And Naomi, I agree with Christine on the network side. Uh, I've, I've always uh, surrounded myself and uh, advocate about having a network you know, that, that you can rely on for, uh, you know, really candid feedback. Uh, I think that is, um, you know, that is one way we could avoid the imposter syndrome. Yeah, very well said. And actually just having you guys come on here and talk about your experiences, that's huge. It's so important. So thank you all for doing that. <laughs> I think um, I think that's about it. It's all we have time for. Um, really great discussion. Thank you all for being so open and you know talking about this very important topic. Um, just a few things. You will receive an email when our on-demand recording is ready um, for continuing education credits. Please see the final slide. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming event, contact Nancy Wilcox. And to register for upcoming webinars, visit our website, Health System CIO. 
And uh, thank you so much to our panel, Naomi, Kristen, and Nitha. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Persistent Systems. And thanks to all who joined us today. Everyone have a good day. Thank you. Thank you so much.